0: so much food going to waste in the supply chain these days. What will it take to solve the problem? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Each year, an estimated 1.3 billion tons of food are either lost or go to waste in this country. It's estimated that approximately a third of all food is lost in transit in the supply chain. That situation would be unacceptable at any time, but during a pandemic with serious shortages of essential goods across the U.S., it's unconscionable. Today, we'll talk possible solutions with Chris Wolfe, CEO of PowerFleet. We'll learn why so much food is being wasted today, how the pandemic and economic downturn are making the dilemma even worse, and how technology might be in a position to help now and in the future. And we'll find out why part of the answer might lie with the coming of 5G. So here is my conversation with Chris Wolfe. Chris Wolf, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Chris, we are hearing that each year 1.3 billion tons of food is lost or goes to waste in the world. And wondering, is, is that in fact your perception? And if so, why? What form is that waste taking?
1: Various studies. It's kind of interesting. I was just involved in another article on this. And it was like one third of all food is lost in transit or through the whole process of the supply chain from beginning to end. And that's food that goes to waste in the grocery store, that's food that goes to waste at restaurants, It's food that goes to waste in transit, and a lot of it is just how it's packaged, how it's managed. Again, there's technologies that can come to bear, best practices that can be applied to help the problem.
0: How has it come to this state of affairs? I wonder if one reason, I don't know if this has anything to do with it or not, but the rise of the big box retailer, the bulk retailer, the selling large lots of things that I wonder if that leads to waste, or if not, what are some other factors? I mean, you mentioned packaging. That's an interesting one. But anything else that might help to understand how we got to this state of affairs in the first place?
1: Well, if you think about it, a lot of it stems from everyone wanting fresh food and wanting it now. It's the whole velocity of the supply chain when it comes to food and grocery. When I was raised, I mean, I think everything was canned, right? <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. canned food, canned <laughs> right exactly as old i am but yeah. well so again when you're, you're trying to deliver fresh vegetables from farm to table it's going to imply that there's going to be some amount of waste just because of the ability to get it there quickly the ability to make sure it gets there at the right temperature the right handling and it's not just temperature issues but it's also like pest control uh, making sure that it's cleanliness you know making sure vehicles can be cleaned and facilities and airtight doors and Again, there's a whole plethora of issues in, in the supply chain that all contribute to the 30% of waste.
0: Do you think it might also have something to do with longer supply lines? I mean, now we get our fruits and vegetables from off-season. We can get them from South America. We can get them from New Zealand. And But these longer lines, I wonder—and Or and, and we, sh- of course, ship a lot of our American produce to Asia— does that create the potential for more waste?
1: Exactly, and also because there's a lot of touch points. I mean, if you think about just picking it in the field, getting it sorted, getting it cleaned, getting it packaged, getting it in the original truck, typically food is in maybe four trucks in its lifetime from the original farmer's field to the end table, right? So mm-hmm. Again, all those touch points, anytime you have another touch point, a transfer of goods into a facility like a warehouse, out of the facility into another truck, those are all potential places where food can go to waste.
0: So we're hearing news that it's worse now in the pandemic. Is that in fact the case? What's going on there?
1: That's actually because of what we call the specialization of the supply chain. It's kind of interesting. If you look at supply chain providers that were hauling goods for restaurants, obviously their business almost dried up, right? Because there was no restaurant doing anything other than takeout. So typically restaurants and things like amusement parks and big venues like stadiums, they buy in bulk. And so the We're very specialized around being able to supply all the way from the farm, whether it's meat, whether it's corn, vegetables, supplying in bulk to those kind of venues. Well, all of a sudden those venues dry up and you can't easily change that supply chain over to be what's called consumer sized, right? You're shipping 50 gallon jugs of mayonnaise to Disney World and all of a sudden you have to change that over to shift 12 ounce bottles. That's Mm -hmm. not very easy to do. I think that's something that the supply chain organizations in general can focus on in the future is how do we make the supply chain more versatile, where we can actually move and adjust in the event of something like this happens again.
0: We're also hearing about the need to destroy certain food stocks now because it just can't get to market for some reason or there wasn't any demand for it. I mean, that's a horrible idea. But is that indeed happening as well because of the pandemic?
1: Exactly. That gets back to my last statement is the fact that if you can't provide the bulk deliveries like pork, two million pigs that were are going to be slaughtered. I, don't, I actually did not right up the speed on what happened there, but euthanized. I mean, that's just terrible, right? That meat mm-hmm. could have been repurposed. That's actually why we have the Production Act, or the Military Production Act, specifically for that is we should have used the federal government and funding and the logistics capabilities that we have specifically in the military to handle that problem because all that meat could have been repurposed into products that could have been used. And that's another thing in the supply chain is, Instead of food going to waste, if it can be caught at the right time, it might not go to its intended target. It could always be repurposed so into soups or other processed foods so that it can be actually have a benefit.
0: But the demand is there in places like food banks and the like, and yet this stuff that was supposed to go to one market cannot make that shift to go in another direction when in fact potentially the demand is there for it. So that's really tragic, isn't it? That I guess supply chains just can't turn around that fast. Is it just the nature of the way they're structured?
1: The way they're structured, again, very specialized. And also there's not a lot of exception processing built in. So getting to the point where I have a shipment of some product and it's late for whatever reason, we know it's going to go bad within a couple of days. There's no way it's going to make it into the grocery store, get onto the shelf and then be sold in time. At the point in time that's known, that product could easily be transitioned over to, like I mentioned before, like soup processing or you'd probably say processed food, frozen food. But again, the the systems are not built to be able to shift in transit.
0: Do you see any relationship between the amount of food waste one way or another, either up or down, the relationship between that and increasing online grocery purchases versus buying in store. We've seen a lot of that during the pandemic. We started to see it before the pandemic. We expect to see more of it going forward. Does that have any impact? On the amount of food that goes to waste
1: in a way, it does i, I don 't think there's enough data to support a hypothesis there, but again, getting back to my original touch points, you might have eliminated some because you've gotten rid of the middle person, the store, but you now have introduced basically somebody driving in their car or driving on a motorcycle or driving on a bicycle to deliver your food, so the odds of some of that food going to waste in transit. Like right now, I live in Tampa, Florida. It's 96 degrees outside and humid. So the yes. odds of somebody on a bicycle driving a couple of miles and getting the food here fresh on a bike just scares me. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, if they're in their mm-hmm. car or a truck, okay, maybe it'll get there. The same with Vegas, the Phoenix or anywhere, you have phenomenally hot temperatures and you yeah. have food in transit. Yeah.
0: I also wondered, though, I don't know if this has been established or proven in any way, but I get the feeling that when somebody buys groceries online, they tend to buy less than if they were in the actual store because they're not there for impulse purchases. So they buy less and maybe they consume less and they waste less. I I don't know if that's the case or not, but it seems like it might be a possibility.
1: Yeah, it goes to the whole trend of fresh food. And if you can get it delivered, you don't need as much food, right? Now, during the pandemic though, there was hoarding. People did buy different types of food, hoard like soups. And like I mentioned before, but I think because you can get Food delivered to your house, you can eat it fresh. That actually is where the demand is going because people do demand fresh food.
0: All right, so where does technology come into play in this issue? How can technology be used to reduce food waste?
1: Well, across the board, it's number one, making sure that it's kept in an environmentally controlled environment. So everybody usually talks about what they call uh, refrigerated monitoring we have technology and so do other players but two-way command and control of the refrigerated unit are you monitoring the unit the fuel level whether it's carrier a or thermocane, or whatever your cooling unit is on your vehicle it's one thing to monitor it It's so another thing to proactively be able to change the set point over the air it's another thing to be able to use predictive analytics and say based on the outside temperature based on the humidity based on the doors opening and closing at a certain rate being in a certain geographic area you could proactively change the temperature of the whole trailer or container and prevent the waste, right? So the whole key is every time you open the door, you're actually allowing humidity and water intrusion, and you're also allowing heat and temperature intrusion. So you have to manage that very proactively. You got to make sure the doors is only open for a specific period of time. You got to make sure that the driver who opens the doors back into a warehouse facility doesn't take his time doing it, specifically like in Phoenix, get the truck backed up, get it locked in, and get it sealed to the warehouses, especially if it's Mm -hmm. fresh food.
0: Isn't technology doing a much better job these days of providing the capability to monitor the state of food in transit and in in, in warehouses almost to a pinpoint level, alerting when it surpasses parameters of humidity, temperature, and the like?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. When I was a young computer engineer, I used to work for Roadway Express and I worked for Penske Logistics in the past, which a variety of involved in food and non-food transportation The technology is available today, whether it's 5G, the data rates, the sensor technology, the battery technology is phenomenally better than it ever was in the past. And what we can do is not just monitor the refrigeration unit, but we actually have at the pallet level sensors that can tell you the temperature, the vibe, the humidity at the pallet level or even lower level. So, mm-hmm. what that allows you to do is say, hey, that one pallet, because 26 pallets in the 53 foot trailer, one that's subject to a problem because of just where it was in the location. And all that information can come back using machine learning now, because obviously it's too much information for somebody to glean through with the m- machine learning. And you can actually say, hey, pallet number 47. And the left rear of the trailer needs to be looked at versus somebody wondering if all of them are bad because there's one minor temperature and intrusion.
0: So what is the communications technology that allows you to do that? Is it Wi-Fi? Is it cellular? Is it satellite? What's the state of the art in that area?
1: The state of the art is actually changing right now because, in, especially in the United States, but even in across the world you've heard of 4g and 5g lte there's so many acronyms it makes your head spin but mm-hmm. 3g which is the older networks and 2g are going away they're repurposing the bandwidth for the newer technologies that requires carriers fleets that are using the old technology to move to new what's nice about that though is when i worked at omnitrax in my past we were one of the founders or inventors of telemetry in the whole world now we can actually do it a lot cheaper. So you can get a lot more data. You can do it a lot cheaper. The products last a lot longer. And I think people for the bang for the buck, as they make this move, instead of buying a what we call a telemetry unit, you're going to buy a mobility platform. And like Lego building blocks, you can actually add in like these cargo sensors on the pallet level. I can add in a freight mm-hmm. camera so I can actually visually inspect the freight without opening the door. I mean, again, getting back to every time you open the door, you're actually... It could be theft. It could be, again, temperature intrusion. You could not do this before with the old technologies out there, but 5G enables better battery life. Uh, we also use Bluetooth technology and near-field communications for uh, more of the sensor reading and the sensor feedback.
0: 5G is yet to roll out on a nationwide basis, obviously, but you're pretty optimistic and excited about the prospect that, that would be a real step change in the ability to monitor the condition of food and transit?
1: Yes. And just so you know, our our platforms are 3G fallback. Whatever the network is that you're in, 2G or 3G, there's always a fallback because of our geographic footprint in the U.S. We have to be able to operate when 5G is available and take advantage of that. And then we have to fall back into 3G mode when that's all that's available as well. Uh, We also Mm -hmm. might use satellite technology. if, Again, the real-time requirements, we have customers like in the Caribbean, right? So there's a, a point in time when you're not going to have cell coverage. And that's why I get back to talking about platforms. So it's like the food problem we're talking about. It's like some customers, they want to do what we call sections of the container monitoring, not just monitor the whole container. Some want to do pallet level monitoring. It all depends on the commodity.
0: Well, I guess technology certainly does promise to improve and and be a big role in reducing food waste. But I got to think that it can't just be that. I've also got to think that we need to look at changing consumer habits, changing supply chain patterns, maybe more localized sourcing education of consumers about food waste. Doesn't all that kind of have to accompany the technology side as well?
1: I I agree 100%. I mean, I think if people understood just the magnitude, you and I have the data, right? But I, I think the general public does not have the data on the magnitude of the waste issue. And I think once that information gets out, and then you match that up to the societal problems that we have, this is almost like one of those where you'd say government, corporate partnership opportunities, right? Where how do we fix the problem, make our supply chains more flexible, but also just, hey, let's cut it down to 10% food waste. We had that target and we said, how can we repurpose this food before it goes bad as a country? I mean, it just I think we owe it to ourselves and, and society to try and make that happen.
0: Reachable goal, you think, from 33% to 10% and how long do you do you expect it would take to come to that improvement?
1: Like I said before, you would really would need the government to step in and help sponsor and fund and give direction. Uh, sometimes people say the government can't do that. But I think uh, this is, again, if you had the private industry needs to be incentivized to make that happen. Right now, there, that's just not the case. That's not happening. But if we had a directed purpose, I think it's definitely achievable within five years. I mean, just with the technology that's available, we know there's probably going to be another pandemic. We've already lived through one, right? By the way, there was also the Spanish flu, right? There's going to be another one. So the question is, how do we get our supply chain? Maybe the first thing we do is just make sure our supply chain can be repurposed for like the bulk deliveries can all of a sudden repurpose themselves so they can do consumer grade shipments. That alone Mm -hmm. would save tons of food and would also stop shortages.
0: Well, you speak of incentives, and it sounds like a good idea. But on the other hand, you've got to think that how much more incentive do we need based on our awareness of the current situation, unless memories are so short, that in another year or two, we'll just forget it and, and go on as, you know, as, as before. Are you optimistic that this will be a real paradigm shift for companies coming out of this as a result of what they experienced during the pandemic?
1: That old adage, follow the money. I do think companies, and my my company included, were looking at the whole problem, we will work with our customers to say, hey, if this happened again, how do we make sure that you're more flexible? I just think as a supplier and as a consumer of those goods, it's up to us as leaders in the industry to try and make that a real change.
0: So business awareness, consumer awareness, government awareness, and some really strong technologies that are in place now and in the future. It sounds like we have the possibility of making a real dent in that gigantic amount of food being wasted globally. Chris Wolf of PowerFleet, thank you so much for helping us to understand the situation and maybe even giving us a little bit of hope for a solution. Thank you very much for being with us today.
1: Hey, thanks, Bob. I, I really appreciate it.
0: That was my conversation with Chris Wolf of PowerFleet talking about how we can reduce food waste in the supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.